Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. And welcome to the Ashley Webster Experience. Thanks for joining us today alongside Brian Solomon. Uh, we have with us today Hugh Weber. He is president of HBSE, which is Harris Blitzer Sports and Entertainment. But what you should know is that's a portfolio with the New Jersey Devils, the Philadelphia 76ers, the Prudential Center, and a whole host of other goodies in there, Hugh. Thank you for being here. You also have an eSports uh, franchise as well. Um, you're a busy guy. You're a big-time dude, right? <laughs> You're the president. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, <laughs> I can see where this is going to go. No, yeah. actually, this is a, a team that we've built over time that's incredibly talented. I think it's the thing that separates Harris Butzer Sports and Entertainment uh, from a lot of other things that are happening. We're growing at such a rapid pace. Um, and it's because over the last five years since I've been here, mm-hmm. uh, we've been able to actually get people – who have a shared vision about where we're going, shared values, and are buying in at a really, really deep level, and great things are happening. So you're based in New Jersey, in beautiful Newark. <laughs> now, I say that tongue-in-cheek because Newark... Right, what's so funny? The Rodney... <laughs> <I'm> laughing <laughs> over there. ...is a bit of a Rodney Dangerfield city. Um... Does it get does, respect? Is that what you're saying? Does it get any respect since you've been there in the, in the time that you've so been there? So it's interesting. You know, Newark, um, I, I grew up on the West Coast and um, did not have any th- any preconceived notions about mm. what Newark was. I, was I would there. tell you, though, I spent um, a good portion of my career in uh, New Orleans um, mm-hmm. before coming up to, to do this work. And um, when I first visited Newark, part of the reason I'm here is because I saw the trajectory and the renaissance I saw slowly happening. And I think where sports teams and uh, specifically arenas like the Prudential Center uh, can become a catalyst for social change within a community, mm-hmm. it's what's most powerful and actually what's inspired me to do the work I do. So. Again, when I talked earlier about getting like-minded people around a shared vision, and we could talk about Newark, it's a good place to start, but actually a big part of who we are is leaving our, our, our DNA and fingerprints and making sure that, that that building and that team is a community asset, and the Prudential Center is the town square, and not only for just Newark, but for, for, uh, for all of New Jersey, and um, making sure that we're engaging the community with these really rich, you know, kind of dynamic assets. And you uh, have tremendous teams. competition just uh, in in the view of New York. Is it? You got mm-hmm. the Big Apple, you got the New York Rangers, you got all the sports franchises in New York. Mm-hmm. It's a unique situation for you to be in. You know, I think proximity to New York um, and the energy that it exudes and, and obviously the commerce that's here mm-hmm. um, makes our market, we believe, one of the top in the U.S. And I think the business statistics back it up. So the way we first got here, I think New Jersey and specifically Newark and the building at Prudential Center was perceived by the concert producers and others that it was just part of New York. It's just mm-hmm. one of the places you would play if you come to New York because – Candidly, we're 18 minutes away by train mm-hmm. from Manhattan. It's, nothing. Yep. it's six miles. It's not a big deal. So they just saw us. And so the, the interesting dynamic was to leverage the fact that we were so close to New York, but to differentiate ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so what we 
when we were in L.A. and in Chicago and, and Nashville talking to these promoters who were routing these tours, we'd say, listen, you got to come to New Jersey. There's four and a half million people who live in northern New Jersey. It's a high household income demographic, mm-hmm. highly educated, very diverse. We will sell out shows, as an example. And I think that same um, philosophy applies to the Devils. You know, is that yeah. yes, we are one of the New York teams. Yes, we are there with the Islanders. But you have and, New Jersey on it. But we are the only team that represents again that side of the river. Right. And so, what is it that we can identify and tap into as a team? That people who are live and choose to be in New Jersey and all the lifestyle and amazing things that make living in New Jersey uh, what it is, make them identify with our team over the other. So that's all part of the fabric of, of what we've been putting together. I'm interested in what you said about using sports as a community center and, and how it can the, – the rebirth and the – the, the the recovery effort, and I want to go back to Katrina in New Orleans because right. you mentioned that. So I just want to go back to that. That must have been a tremendous challenge. That was a community. I used to go to New Orleans all the time prior to Katrina, and the difference afterwards was remarkable. Uh, a lot of people left. It was a city in hurting, and you went down there and turned the franchise around down there, the NBA franchise, but also at the same time brought the city together. Yeah, so I, I'd say I have a, a specific um, insight on on what I believe is the most powerful aspect of sports teams. Y- you're a fan, grew up with, with yep. but when your team and the characteristics and the culture of that team represents who you are as a person. I mean, we're very tribal in, na- in nature, mm-hmm. right? We're humans, but we we're, we actually join, lock arms with others that are around us. And when that team can share the identity, both on good times and bad, mm-hmm. when it can the rising tides of a good team. Um, then you know that that team is more than just, um, you know, where the brand is really sticky to the community. And so everything we do in terms, in terms of making the team successful is how can we in, engage the community and make the brand of that team so synonymous with being part of that tribe yeah. that you would walk through walls for it. And that's what was interesting about New Orleans. I'll, I'll talk about specifically, and then we'll come back to the yeah. Devils. Um, you know, New Orleans, uh, when when the team moved from Charlotte, because I was part of that move as well, okay. from Charlotte, North Carolina to, to Louisiana, it was kind of like, hey, let's take Charlotte off the front of the jersey, and we'll put New Orleans on. And guess what? The NBA is now in New Orleans. Isn't that amazing? And Katrina happened two years later. And we went to Oklahoma City in desperation, candidly, because we right. really didn't have anywhere to play. Right. Um, Katrina hit in late August. And as you know, the NBA schedule starts in right. o- October. Uh, thank God, you know, uh, Oklahoma City had a, a NBA-ready building, and, a, and the NBA just, mm. you know, kind of swarmed in and, and made that happen. But two years later, we're now that organ- you know, we're going to take the team back to New Orleans. And as you said, it was a, team, uh, a city that suffered for a long time, oh. but we were going to move it back to Oklahoma City. What we figured out was that there wasn't enough NBA fans there mm. to support us. There just wasn't. Mm. But there was enough people who loved and supported their community. Mm-hmm. And so that if we could make the team actual a manifestation of what it meant to love your community, then we win. 
And I had story after story, um, you know, where we were engaging fans. And I had a woman, um, an elderly woman, I'd say, not elderly, I shouldn't say, I'm, I'm almost her age now, but, um, <laughs> but who came up to me and she had tears in her eyes. She gave me a hug and she said, I want you to know I slept in my car for over a year, but I never, ever gave up hope for my tickets. I was always wow. going to be a season ticket holder here. And I'm like, wow. okay, this woman That's clearly does not have her priorities right. <laughs> and she said, um, so I said, I have to, you have to tell me what, what, why? why? Why was it so important to you? She said, because when I come to the games, it makes me know that life can be normal again. Oh, isn't that interesting? And so that's the beauty yeah. of sport mm-hmm. and, the, and the beauty of like what we do in terms of entertaining, engaging people. Even when a community is its worst moments, again, we saw it, we see it time and time and time again where either through national tragedy and 9-11 here yeah. some time mm-hmm. ago and the Yankees mm-hmm. and what, how important the, those, those moments were. Uh, for our, our general psyche, again, to how we tap into, again, the, 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 the overarching community way of thinking and making sure that people identify the team that way is important. So back to New Jersey Devils. Right. We are part of the renaissance of um, of Newark, just as the 76ers in Philadelphia are part of the new kind of – future Philadelphia. And if you think yeah. about this, the young and up-and-coming players we have, kind of uh, the redevelopment and long path we've taken to get to this, this moment in time, uh, it's reflective of these cities, and, and we believe uh, – I'm a huge hockey fan, i got to tell you. Huge hockey fan. Grew up in Brighton, loved soccer in England, but but loved hockey. And I lived in Nashville for 10 years and became – I was there when the Predators started their franchise with Barry Trotz as the the coach there who just won the Stanley Cup with Washington. Great guy. Loved it. And I saw what it did to that community. And the Nashville fans are just crazy down there for the NHL. You laugh. We saw it in Las Vegas as recently this year. And then I was just going to say, then we've just had Las Vegas, uh, you know, the the Knights who... In their first year. In their first year, which, by the way... around a tragedy. That's a very good point. That's very true. Um, And and now I noticed that the NHL is very much pushing the international exposure. Um, How many players in the NHL are actually international players. A lot, I would imagine. Yeah, 70% of players are born outside so the U.S. So it makes sense to right. take some mm-hmm. of these NHL games around the world, whether it's probably, what, Germany, Sweden, Finland. Yeah, so this year we'll be going and, to and Sweden and Switzerland. And I saw China as well. Correct. Now, yeah. is China a targeted market for the NHL? It's not one I would think of, but is it? So there's a couple of things happening in China that are interesting. Obviously, China has scale unlike any other country, right? right? So, um, but, but secondly, the Winter Olympics are coming, and it seems that where the Chinese government mandates things are important, things become important, right? <laughs> so one of the uh, sports that they have targeted is, is hockey, mm-hmm. um, to have it grow. It is, uh, again, a nascent sport there now. It's, it's kind of um, a, a, a very, very small small circle of people who but are But if you have a country of over a billion people, exactly. you can get a foothold. Right. And we've yeah. seen this in the NBA, right? So right. You know, 30 years ago, David Stern made mm-hmm. you know, international be a priority. We see what it did to the content rights for, again, these sports teams. But we also see what the brand means internationally and globally. And so now you have 300 million people who actually regularly play basketball in China. I mean, you wouldn't have it's thought of that incredible. 20 years ago. It's wildly popular. Yeah, it's wildly popular. So I think hockey is uh, uh, Now, this behind. is preseason, right? This is not regular season because so the, the, NF- NHL- the NFL now has regular season games, often over in the U.K. Mm-hmm. I think they have one in Mexico. Um, could mm-hmm. that ever be down the so road? So we have a regular season game this year in you Sweden. Do- 
Wow. So our first game, October 6th. So if anyone likes the hockey game, it's Yeah, this it's week's. a great road trip. You yeah. should try it sometime. Oh, <laughs> Invite me along. I'm, <laughs> I'm there. Take the podcast uh, on the road. Yes, exactly. Uh, speaking about China specifically, though, yeah, the uh, preseason games, uh, those would be preseason games. There will be right. six over the next eight years that the NHL is committed mm-hmm. to um, in order to build up, again, uh, what we think is an emerging That'd be a fascinating trip. Well, yeah. what I think is interesting about um, what the NHL is doing is that it's it's kind of reverse of what the NBA did. You know, the NHL has all these international players and are now trying to expand, you know, the games and the popularity to the foreign markets, where the NBA had to grow the popularity and get more players outside the country. So it's like you guys already have the popularity in the sport. Basketball was a foreign concept to the NBA. So how is what's that approach like compared to what David Stern did. I, I think they're, they're maybe in different orders, but they're very related, right? So mm. it's all about – you're going to hear me talk about how we have relevance and how we have followership and people, whether it starts on social or even through video games. I know we're going to talk about esports in a yeah. little bit, mm-hmm. but you know how you're introduced to the content of the sport. So basketball, you may say, like, I'm not a basketball fan, but I love the, the games. I love the athleticism of the athletes. I mm-hmm. love the show that it is. All of those things were smartly kind of crafted over time that took basketball and specifically the NBA from a a league that was on the brink virtually, you mm-hmm. know, in, yeah. in the 70s and to now where you've got – it's oh. socially – yeah, relevant in yeah. every aspect of our it society. It is pop culture. It is pop culture. It's American culture. It's global. It's probably yeah. what baseball was in the, in the 30s and 40s yeah. you know, to, to an international audience. And that all of that was like, carefully done over time. And so I think hockey is maybe a little bit more complicated because it is not as simple as putting up a basket and handing someone right. a ball. Right. Uh, but but the, the athleticism and, and how the learning uh, you don't need ice to do it. You know, we're, mm-hmm. we're actually introducing hockey to a lot of kids in Newark. Um, but you with, hockey uh, numbers. Street, street hockey. Going kids through the are, roof. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Hockey is one of the fastest growing sports, um, but we're seeing it not just in, again, on ice. It's in gyms and on streets right. and, and kids are playing. So mm-hmm. all of that is um, something we, we feel very bullish about in terms of hockey. I wanted to mention the Prudential Center, too. I'm making notes of that because this is a multi-purpose center, but it does very well. And if you look at the – I was looking at the rankings. We yeah. had some uh, research here of the top ten uh, arenas around the world. It's at number eight. That's really impressive. Isn't that crazy? I mm-hmm. mean, you've got Madison Square Garden at one, T-Mobile Arena in Vegas two, the O2 Arena in London three. This this is some big yeah. stuff. The uh, Prudential comes in at number eight. It's ahead of the Manchester Arena in the U.K., the American Airlines Center in Dallas. I mean, it's impressive. So uh, five years ago, it was 27th in the U.S., and again, so how did you it, do it? it how go, did you do exactly. it? Exactly. No, it all goes back to, again, identifying that market as a separate market from New York. Identifying right. the fact that this is a, a, a place where you need to have your acts come to and that you can sell tickets and do amazing work. And it all goes back to a team of people that built the strategy and did it. But, but again, it's amazing work that's happened in the last five years. And concerts, obviously, mm-hmm. a big part of that. Keeping concerts, the building in, shows, constantly in use. Selling out. Selling, selling out. out, yeah. So it's all about how many tickets. They, they rank these, uh, these fancy rankings yeah. they do. They do it all by number of tickets sold. We have about 1.8 million people come through our doors every year. Um, and considering we only have Jersey. one professional sports franchise, mm-hmm. we have yeah. Seton Hall Basketball that's in the Big East. Yeah. Um, um, but it is primarily shows, concerts, and well, and I want to get shows. back separate to concerts, just sure. for for the fan that goes to the Prudential Center, for instance, or anywhere, I guess. But do they expect more from their experience these days? 
So it's interesting. One of the other things we had to identify is what would make you want to go to Prudential Center versus Madison Square Garden, the hit center of history and, and uh, the center of the universe here in, in New York, or candidly, in the last 10 years with the opening of the Barclays Center, mm-hmm. right. you know, uh, and, and they did a w- masterful job of positioning Barclays Center as kind of this ho- cool, hip, mm-hmm. you know, you got Jay-Z yeah. there right. and you're in Brooklyn. Right. It's really great, really well done, masterfully thought through. And what we got here was like, great, what's the Prudential Center? What is it? Mm-hmm. And, and, and New York is about the only market where the buildings have identities. I mean, you don't go to, it's interesting. hey, yeah, you know, yeah, I'm going to yeah, go yeah. to, you name it, right. yeah. Brighton. I don't know. Brighton. what, the, what the, the building has a, an identity. We have maybe. a pier. <laughs> a pier. Right. Brighton Palace Pier, yes. Um, so part of this is like building, uh, when we talk about brand, what is the expectation when you're going to come to our building? What do you get? And so unlike this being super cool that you might get in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. and unlike being historic, maybe a little more corporate like, and historic Like the Madison history, Square Garden. Our, uh, Prudential Center is a place uh, you're going to get uh, more likely to get a smile and a hug. Um, it's like your neighborhood, uh, the place that everyone knows your name, the place that uh, when you don't show up, exactly, <laughs> yes. um, they wonder where you were. Um, people describe our building as, and again, the people who have, uh, are, have built their careers there and worked there, I'm talking about the event staff, the people mm. who, this is a part-time job for them, but take a lot of pride in this building. They, take, they don't take pride in necessarily what's happened there, but the feeling that they impart on people when they come through the door. How do you keep the costs in check? Because it gets expensive to go out to the game. You've got parking. You've got the ticket for the event. And then you've got all the, the concessions. So it can, it can add up. Yeah, it depends. So, so do we, you try we have, and keep costs at a reasonable Yeah, level? so we do a, a few different things. So um, one is we're very fortunate to be 1,000 yards from or 1,000 feet from uh, a train station that virtually anywhere well, that in New Jersey or, or right. you could – for a buck twenty-five or whatever, take right. the train to to our building. Um, but we variably price a lot of things too. So your game, let's say if if you're on someone with a fixed budget, you might not be able to go to the Rangers game, which is obviously a high demand, right. high price game. Yeah. But you might be able to come when Edmonton comes on no. a Thursday. That ticket's going to be a, f- a small fraction of the price. And so we variably price not only. Um, what are your cheapest tickets? So we we actually have ten dollar tickets that you That's can buy. Ma- yeah, ten bucks. So, Ashley, so, you want to go? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, I want to see the money bucks. first. Yeah, I want to see exactly. <laughs> Cautiously, no. maybe. <laughs> now, we have ten dollars tickets, and and you know, and we make those available. We have student pass tickets. We have, we, we do everything we can to, to to make sure that that if you're going to pick a reason why you can't attend a game or come experience right. it, it's not going to be because it's a financial challenge. Yeah. So, um, so so we we're mindful of all those things. Um, build a lot of food packages and what have you, so right. that, that when you're all in. It's not like an extravagant one, one, once a year event. Now I mentioned the the, the seventy sixes are in your port, in your domain, your, your kingdom. Um, <laughs> do you have to split your time a little bit going down to to Philly and then coming back to to New Jersey? You must so, be a very busy guy. We all, I, I would say, the entire leadership team, and there's there's um, as I said, a remarkable group of people that are are doing this. It's been mm. built so fast that. It's, it, you have a primary role, which is my title as president. I get it. And we all have a secondary role, right? Mm-hmm. So we're all moving. We, have, we're pro- we are the, the only franchise that is operating in multiple cities that actually has consolidated operations. So oftentimes you see teams like um, – let's talk about the Washington um, Monumental Sports. Washington, right. they own the, the, uh, the Wizards and they own the mm-hmm. Capitals, as mm-hmm. you mentioned. Great. Yeah. But they all work out of one building. 
They have operate the two teams. So we have multi-location, um, and we have people that are that are consolidated working teams across both. So we all are in constant movement. Uh, wow. So yes, to answer your question, I am down in Camden or Philly yeah. um, every week. Mm-hmm. I'm up here. Um, Josh Harris and David Blitzer uh, do their operations out of New York. All right. So we're in New York every week. Um, do you prefer the it NBA? It keeps them. You like NBA or NHL? <laughs> yeah, That's a tough. It seems like your background's in the NBA more, yeah. but. I know you're going to be diplomatic and do you say, have I any love children? all sports. Do you have I have children? four kids. Which one do you like the best? Okay. Uh, <laughs> well, I, wanna, well, I, I could wanna... answer that, but I won't. <laughs> <laughs> no, I will tell you they're very different, and you appreciate them for very different reasons. I think hockey, um, the culture of hockey, the team-first mentality. We have Taylor Hall, who's the MVP of the NHL, yeah. and mm-hmm. the first thing, he'll, he'll, he'll be the first guy on the ice. He'll be working his you know rear end off yeah. every single day, and the first thing he'll do is he'll defer. He'll say it was my teammates that helped me happen. You know, uh, you see it when the when teams win the Stanley Cup. You know, you might have the star player get the cup, and the first thing they do is they hand it to the next guy and the next guy right, and the next right. guy. They all get to share the cup. That culture is really, really amazing to me, and I think it's kind of how we um, you know build our team on the business side. If you look at the NBA, you have to the, – the machine that is the content machine that is the NBA, the social relevance, it is our pop culture. Mm. The, the, um, the social connection that our players have and the importance that they put on social issues and political issues yeah. to personally carry the torch on these things is inspiring. It really is. So it's like I would say. Do you it's get like, to know the players pretty yeah, well in your position? Do you see them and see them? Yeah, we every see them day all during around. the season, of course. And it's 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 changed over time. You know, Do and, they call and you as boss? players become superstars, <laughs> and Mr. President, stars. is that what they call you? <laughs> no, no, no. no. Hey, Hugh, it's all good. What's, <laughs> it, what's it like being you know at the helm of two teams that are known as the up and coming, the future of the both sports? Because the 76ers are in the spotlight of the NBA, even though they didn't win the championship last year. Mm. Everyone's talking about them because the youth on the team, Ben Simmons and B, Markel Foltz, but very similar to yeah. the Devils. What's it like being at the helm of that? Yeah, so there's really good work. I mean, again, Chris Heck, who's the president of the 76ers, the team, the marketing folks, the uh, again, Josh and Dave, it starts with them. The, the commitment that they have, if you think about it, it sounds like, wow, we're at this point in time, which is amazing, this great trajectory. There was a lot of really painful work that went yeah. to get here, always, right? always. And no one ever remembers that period. And um, But on both times, I would say it goes back to a very simple concept of you hire really talented people, you give them the right resources, and you're patient. Mm-hmm. And it, what Josh and David have shown over time is this patience to say, we're going to build it the right way, no shortcuts. There's no shortcuts at the top. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, might, there are a few shortcuts to the middle, but we don't want to get there. So um, so what you're seeing is like, yeah, it's very gratifying, but it's expected. It's mm-hmm. interesting you know, we really patience. anticipated this is yeah. what we thought. Yeah. If you think about the English Premier League, and I'll come back to this because, you know, I love my no, football. Yeah, we know. But, but there's always never a lot of patience. Yeah. Where, what have you done for me last week and the yeah. week before? With relegation, it's, it's hard a to little fi- harder with relegation because you could be patient and you could be out of business. Right? Yeah. Well, <laughs> it seems that's like that, very true. that's how it is right now in the NBA. You know, people are getting fired after two years, you know. Right. In, in so, the Premier League, it can be 10 weeks. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. So you, you have to be good. You have to be lucky. But you have to stick to your plant, too. And I think yes. that um, most – Again, let's face it, a lot of the folks that own these teams, they're fans as well. Right. 
And they want to have the brand of the product be the best it can be. And so if there's that one – everyone always says, I'm one trade away from being a champion. It, it's just not that easy. But does it come down to money? Who can shell out the biggest bucks and pay really, the biggest wages? In some leagues, it's that way. Clearly, in the Premier League, it, you know, oh, money talks. Yes. Um, but, but I would say with hard cap system like in the NHL and, and with what you're seeing in free agency in the NBA, right. culture matters. Mm-hmm. Having a system matters. Having – you know, a plan, a long-term plan, having all the right practice facilities and mm-hmm. training complexes and science mm-hmm. that you can extend a, uh, an athlete's career. Um, we put uh, an $85 million uh, training facility into Camden in the last two years. Um, hmm. it, those things matter yeah. um, when it comes to getting the right athletes. Yeah, attracting well, the top talent. Well, yes. you, well, the 76ers specifically, I think, embody some of that because – Ben Simmons, Markel Foles, Joel Embiid all faced injuries early in their career, and a lot of people were questioning, you know, what's going on with that. But you guys really supported them in their development. Do you think that really speaks to the players? Because for me, just thinking this year, you know, someone like Kawhi Leonard, that was his whole situation mm-hmm. with his injury and he not trusting the organization. That was big, and it ended up he ended up leaving. Is that big with you guys? Right. So, I mean, if you have to look at it through their perspective, and obviously they want to have – championships and they want to have long careers and they want to be able to market their brands and do all those things. And so having an environment where you can, you know, um, instead of being cookie cutter, like one size fits all, we've seen organizations where it's like, this is our way and Mm -hmm. stick with it. I think tomorrow's athletes a little bit different. I think it's a little bit more, um, again, customized to that particular athlete, how we do things, but it has to be at a really high world-class level. I think the Premier League, going back to what you're familiar with as well, like, what they invested in into the sports science and the training facilities oh. and then all, all the way down to the academies. And right. Yeah. It's insane. So I think, in a way, the NBA, NHL, we're all catching up a little bit. They, they, they sign players at six years old, seven years old, get the contract. I mean, it's just, it's just mm-hmm. insane. Is that how you got your start? Uh, six, you six, know, Fox no. Business at six years old. <laughs> <laughs> I was wearing a little mini suit and a little tie, and I was in training for Fox Business. By the way, I wanted to switch gears a little bit to the eSports side of things. We've mm-hmm. been doing a lot of stories on this on the business yeah. channel, and I'm just flabbergasted at the amount of money that's involved in this. <laughs> yeah. It's insane. Uh, you have a franchise, Team Dignitas. Is that right? So Team Dignitas. Tell me about it. Yeah. So uh, when you say you're flabbergasted by the money, actually it's I'm fla- you're flabbergasted by the eyeballs, right? The people yes. that are watching yeah. sports. But the so, prize money is pretty impressive, too. It is. And, and so what, what typically happens is you have, back to my relevance, people mm. watching, eyeballs, Money then follows eyeballs, and right. then prize money and salaries follow that. So, what we're seeing in esports, it's not just about Dignitas as a team that's competing in many different formats mm-hmm. and leagues, world champions, and, and many many of the, the the games. But it's about all of the businesses that kind of go around it. It's about you know the training academies for these athletes, and I think for those of us that are in our demographic that might have not grown up with you know. Um, Gaming or, yeah. or, or electronic, you have to look at it a little bit differently. These it takes some it takes uh, agility, and it's a competition. And in those, and if you're keeping score, it's a competition, and, and people are going to watch it. And so, so it's esports. What sports? E-sports. I mean, esports franchise is it? Is it esports? Is it gaming for yeah. football or what basketball or what oh, games? I got you. So these are well, so. Because so there's there, lots of military games out there, like there, Fortnite a few, and right? all but of those. But that's just one of them. So you have League of Legends is a popular right. game that's been around for 12 years. Oh, yeah. You've probably heard. Yes. Overwatch is a league that was just started by mm-hmm. 
Those are, and you're seeing these franchises being sold for multi, multi millions of dollars. Uh, you're seeing them actually trying to mirror more of what is a traditional sports franchise where you have mm-hmm. these teams that are representing communities, like we started off yeah. talking about. The tribal. The tribal piece. Yeah, of yeah. training centers tapping popping into up. That. Yeah. Um, but, but again, it's, eSports is still kind of coming into uh, – Defining itself in the ways that we traditionally understand sports, right? right? But it's it's all of those things and more. But it but generally you have a publisher who comes up with a game, right? It could be a shooting game, it could, it could be, a, be whatever. A, uh, like um, you know, we're seeing Fortnite. If you have yes, your kids oh, play yes, and course. then you have competition and people training around it and specializing. You don't have somebody who's playing a bunch of different of these these games. Mm-hmm, they specialize game. because, and it's just like anything else. If you're a track athlete, you unless you're a decathlon or something, or right. you would just mm-hmm. specialize in one. Would you and show those on big screens at the Prudential Center? Is that you guys what you have do? the biggest screen? Yeah, there. we do have the biggest screen. So <laughs> the there, biggest. Uh, we would we would love to host some of these tournaments. Yeah. It, is, it is a business uh, mm-hmm. moving forward. But again, we were the first uh, North American franchise to invest in esports. Uh, it was historic at the time. It kind of, it brought legitimacy to kind of the space. Yeah. It's quickly caught on. Many people game. have done more in the last you know or, or have jumped on in the last yeah. year and a half. But I still think we're, this industry is very nascent. I think it's ve- it's just at the very cusp of yeah. things to come. And so those of us that are old enough to remember the dot-com kind of cycle that happened, yes. happened it feels a lot like that. There's a lot there's of that's being placed. There's going to be a dot-com bust, is there? I don't know <laughs> for sure. But it feels like there's um, you know kind of some investments that we're mm-hmm. looking at. And we can't yeah. we scratch our head. It's we don't right. know where, 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 where they're going. There's a ton of uh, professional – of you know standard professional teams getting into this, you know, that a ton of basketball franchises have this, the 49ers and the and NFL, all the former athletes investing in these teams. Is esports kind of like the venture capital side of sports for you guys? Is this the growth area for you guys now? No, because we actually have um, different places that we're placing bets and investments around the traditional sports Okay. So mm. we, uh, in addition, we have an innovation lab out of our training facility down in um, in Camden. And right. what we do is we bring in seven or eight companies. We put you know put our loving arms around them, help them go out and 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 do amazing you know and hopefully build a value up. So one of those is, for example, is you get good. It's it's in and around the sports space. It's it's a uh, program that it helps you get better at playing Fortnite, right? <laughs> So if you uh, – what they do is they, they study all the moves of the best players in the world. Mm-hmm. They then track your moves, and then they show you how you can change wow. to get better, right? Mm-hmm. That's an example of a small investment we've made. We brought them in in this lab. It's an incubator. We're helping them grow and building value. We have all, we have a ton of these things that we're doing outside of esports, um, and, and the esports really we see as more as if we went out and bought Crystal Palace. You know, it's just another team that's yeah. helping us build eyeballs around the aggregated portfolio. Did you have to say Crystal Palace? <laughs> exactly. The you know, that's a trigger word. The that's a trigger rival of my home team, Brighton Hove Albion. <laughs> By the way, and I okay, we'll get there now. Josh Harris and David Blitzer. <laughs> Uh, who are, you know, HBSE, uh, they have uh, a major stake in Crystal Palace, don't they? So I suggest they take that money away and reinvest in Brighton Hove Albion. That has a great stadium. It's the Amex Stadium in Thalma. It's a beautiful. They have great training facilities out in Lansing, West Sussex. It's a great team. Anytime we can take money away from Crystal Palace, I'm all for it. Could you pass that message on? Uh, Duly noted. Thank you very much. Um, All right. From gaming to – I did want to ask you the the changing landscape of sports betting in this country. Does that offer you another revenue stream opportunity? 
And and where do we go with this? Right. So New Jersey was one of the first states in the country right. outside of uh, Nevada to uh, legalize sports betting. Um, which is uh, it's an amazing opportunity for us because we, we believe that um, the experience that our fans have in terms of watching games, we're seeing it in fantasy sports, right? It's right. changing the way fans engage with what's happening on the field pitch or ice. And so sports betting is just the natural next evolution of that, you know. Um, and so we believe that um, as – they are building market share, they being these sports betting platforms. Mm-hmm. Um, they want to tap into the most fervent, loyal fan, you know, people, brands as they can. Right. We are the only ones in New Jersey, right, that operate out of New Jersey. And so it's, it's created an opportunity for us uh, to co-brand and co-market and identify and connect to these fans that we have in our right. databases and these fans that come through our doors and the fans that are, um, you know, that love our brand. So uh, we will see a tremendous upside in the short term in sponsorship. Yeah. Um, and Which is likely great. More money coming in. More money coming in. So likely this year we'll see five or six partnerships announced in the next few weeks mm-hmm. uh, with sports betting platforms. And then we'll see what that looks like over time. So the experience in arena, like we can't take sports bet, but if you're doing it on your phone, sure. right, mm-hmm. it's all geo uh, yeah. into New Jersey, uh, you could be theoretically sitting on a concourse with every game on in the NHL, just as you would be if you were in Las Vegas exactly. or a casino, placing bets on your phone. Uh, that is entirely within the realm of possibility. Fascinating, isn't it? How mm-hmm. quickly it's changed, thanks yeah. to a court ruling. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, you're from Seattle, Hugh. I want to get to there too. Um, you're a West. You said you're a West Coast boy. I always think, oh, L.A. <laughs> no, you're way up there on the on the far corner of the. Should of I the, say Northwest? Uh, it's almost Canada. Let's be honest. Um, and. They're in the middle right now. It looks like they're very close to getting an NHL team, correct? Yeah. So, uh, Have you been following this as, to, a, as to, a native <laughs> with interest? <laughs> Not personally, no. I've no? We've got a lot of work here we're getting done. I'm but, sure. But uh, Tim Laiwicki and, and um, you know, Irving Azoff have, have worked with the government in the Seattle uh, Center, which is right. the key arena, which is there right in the middle of the city. Yes. Um, they have what amounts to be a... Uh, nine seven hundred and fifty to nine hundred million dollar arena renovation underway right now. Um, it's all privately funded, which is amazing, fantastic, um, and that then opens the opportunity for uh, Seattle as an NHL market. Um, Have they ever had pro hockey up there, or a, if you a go version back to, of it? If you go back, I believe to the early uh, or mid twenties, late thirties, there was an NHL team called the Metropolitans that were wow. there. That um, far back, that far back, and then I believe uh, the Totems were there in the in the fifties. 50s, yeah. and then mm-hmm. um, there's been you know Pacific Coast Hockey and West Coast Hockey League. But ever, a, I mean, a city that's grown to that size, and we have the Amazons up there, all the the techie people. Right. Um, I mean, it seems a natural. To right. Me. So uh, if you look at all of their sports teams, you know whether it's the Seattle Sounders in soccer, or yep. if it's uh, the Seahawks or the or the baseball team, the Mariners, like they all do, draw you know pretty yeah. well to your point there's there's a high uh social um uh, i'm sorry uh, socioeconomic income yes. uh, for people there uh, profile there um but you know i think they i think that uh, they went on sale and sold 25,000 season tickets in <laughs> I think an hour based on the hope that they would based have the team based on the hope and, and again these were not like 
hey, just put my name down. It was right. like you had to put down $500 or 1000 bucks depending yeah, on where amazing. you wanted your seat. I literally had friends in Seattle call me and saying, like, you got any poll here? I'd like to get on the oh list. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so, so, uh, so I think it's real, and I think that's it's pretty amazing. It would be a great story for the NHL. Good it's a hockey. great market. Great. Great, it's great, interesting. Great. I, I've lived all over the world, and I've lived all over this country. And I mm-hmm. lived in Montana. I remember going up to Edmonton back just when Gretzky got traded from the Oilers to, of all places, the L.A. Kings. Mm-hmm. And there was number 99 jersey in every window in Edmonton. It was like a huge funeral. <laughs> Not only were they upset that they traded Gretzky, Gretzky, but it was to Los Angeles. There was almost this snobbiness up in Canada that, wait a minute, there's a team in, in L.A., right. and now, of course, mm-hmm. we have Vegas and Nashville – Tampa Bay. There were people saying, wait a minute, you can't have that. But ultimately, these teams have proven to be very good. Yeah. And isn't it good for the sport to expand it as much as as – I mean, we all have the traditional powerhouses, Toronto, Montreal, Quebec, Chicago, Boston, New York. But – it must be very healthy for the league as a whole to see it these is. franchises in unusual places. It, it, Phoenix. Takes, it takes a while, though, to get a foothold in a market because you think about it, it does take families who have uh, kind of indigenous hockey knowledge, some native love of the sport. Yeah. It's an incredible sport to see live. If you guys yeah. – I'm sure you oh, guys have both t- seen yeah, it. It's a sport that constant is movement. fast. Mm-hmm. Oh. It's uh, these are athletes that are that that, yeah. that are you know again physical and fast, um, but at the same time to build an entire community who understands and build it, you'll, you'll see it. even I would say the New Jersey Devils have been in New Jersey for thirty six years, and there's now let's call it fifty five to sixty rinks community rinks. Mm. All of them are booked. Uh, it's the fastest growing sport here. But it took 30-some years, right? Yeah. So in some cases. You go to Nashville, same thing. They have kids playing youth hockey all over the place. Nashville, of all places. Right. They love it. Yeah. So I think you're going to see more and more that, again, as you started off comparing it, the Canadians, which is it's such a part of their culture. The storied Right. You, you franchise. grew up skating on the pond. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then yes. you, you know. I think you're going to see more and more of that here in the States. Well, um, in, in Seattle as well, they've been so starved for a uh, team since – since the uh, Supersonics left. Right. And it looks mm. like, you know, a hockey team might be able to fill that void because they do love sports out there. Oh, you know, the Seahawks. And Seahawks. The Sounders well. are wildly popular. And then the yeah. colleges, University of Washington, you know, yeah. Markel Fultz play yeah. there, right? Very popular. They were, yeah. I mean, their games, they do very well for both basketball and football. So they, it's a big sports state. Yeah. Totally agree. No. So, listen, we're out of time, Hugh, but I just want to get back to the key point of this interview is you take money away right. from Crystal right. Palace right. and you give it to Brighton and Hove <laughs> Albion. It was such a subliminal message. You were just so yeah. coy with it. I, I just, think you've got it. Why Brighton, did you just come out and tell me how you really feel? Brighton and Hove Albion. <laughs> yes, Crystal Palace, no. Hugh Weber, thank you so much for joining us. You're the president of, well, Basically everything, but uh, the New Jersey Devils, Philadelphia 76ers, the Prudential Center, the eSports, the team, Dignitas, you do it all. I don't know how you sleep in the day, but uh, thank you so much for being here and uh, talking with us. Thank you, Brad. All right, and thanks, Thanks, everybody, for listening in. We'll see you back here next time. Listen to the all-new Brett Baer podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Baer favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.